Today our theme is about rediscovering Easter. If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, if you do not have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. Feel free to borrow it. Don't steal it. It's Easter. <laughs> but in John chapter 20, there's a Bible in front of you. Feel free to follow along today as we talk about rediscovering Easter. I want to start today with my favorite all-time joke. In fact, Ken at my funeral, make sure someone tells us. Because everyone has crucial moments in their life. Moments when they need God and moments when they need to turn to God. The story goes of an atheist professor. And this atheist professor decided to take a walk through the woods. And as he was walking through the woods, he was just admiring everything that was there that just happened to come by accident. He was noticing the trees as they swayed to the wind and how it just, by happen chance, they happened to be there. He was enjoying the beautiful river that was flowing and that the brook was babbling and the sounds that were coming. He was enjoying that the fact that no one had created these, that they just had always existed and will always exist, and enjoying that river. And as he was walking through the woods that day, he heard a rustle behind him, and he turned back, and out from behind the bushes began a grizzly bear charging at him. He turned around from the grizzly bear and began to run, but the bear overtook him and knocked him and the atheist professor to the ground. He rolls over just in time to see a seven-foot grizzly standing over him with one great big paw about to come down, and he knows this is it. And it is at that moment this atheist cries out, Dear God, help me! Yeah. At that moment, everything freezes. The wind stops blowing and the trees stop moving. The river that was once blabbering stops and completely cease. The bear that was about to come down and strike him freezes in his tracks, and there from heaven comes a beam of light down right onto the atheist's face. From that beam of light, God speaks and he says, you have taught children that I don't exist. You have encouraged young adults to walk away from the faith of their family. And now here you are in the moment of your greatest need, you have turned to me for help. The atheist says, well, I guess that's pretty hypocritical of me right now, God. Maybe I shouldn't say that since I don't think you even exist when you taught people that you're not there. God, if it's too much to ask, maybe saving me is too much to ask, but Lord, could you do me one favor? Would you turn the bear into an atheist? The beam of light shouts back, I can do that. The beam leaves the atheist and goes back into heaven. The wind begins to blow again. The leaves begin to move. The river is unfrozen. It begins to babble as it goes by. And all of a sudden, the bear who was once in the trance comes to wake, and now is a Christian bear, kneels down beside that atheist and says, Dear Lord, I thank you for the food I'm about to receive. <laughs> Everybody comes to a time and a place and moments in their life when they need God. But what do you do? Well, maybe that's you today. What do you do if you've discovered Jesus, but for some unknown reason you've decided to walk away? Today our theme is this. Jesus is worth rediscovering. Jesus is worth rediscovering. When someone can call their own shot about dying and coming back again and pull it off, that is a person you need to listen to. When someone can declare that they are God and prove it by conquering the grave, that is a person who deserves or deserves to be reevaluated. You see, life, there are no guarantees in this thing called life. I don't know if you know this or not, but we are in the path of what's about to take place at any moment, any period. A satellite from China is hurtling towards the Earth and is supposed to land somewhere, possibly in Michigan. 
the size of a Greyhound bus is going to hit us somewhere. Now, if it's you it's going to hit, get away from me. <laughs> but it could land on this building. They say somewhere in the south part of Michigan, it was right on the path that this bus-sized satellite from China could hit us. Now, we may not like the Russians, but at least they don't throw their space garbage at us. <laughs> but there are no guarantees in life. It could be a satellite. And those of you who came from out of state, aren't you glad you're here today? I left a nice warm place to discover snow on Easter, and now the preacher says I'm going to get hit by a satellite from China. <laughs> Welcome to Michigan. Have fun back in California, right? There you go. But anyways, it may not be a satellite that hits you. Something's coming up. Could be that word cancer. It could be the word downsizing. It could be as simple a word as I don't want to be with you anymore. But something's coming. And when it finally does hit, what will you turn to? Who will be your anchor? Today we celebrate the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. But you know what? There's a group of people today. Well, there's a group of people today who used to celebrate, but no longer do. Why break a relationship? I'm going to give you three things, kind of to kickstart what we're going to speak about. Three things about why relationships break. First of all, unrealized expectations. Unrealized expectations. Young people, this is called marriage. You know what marriage is? Marriage is a bride who gets married and thinks, he can change. I'll change him. Marriage is a groom who says, I hope she never changes. And you know what happens? Neither are happy. Second, it's postponed rewards. It postpones rewards. Those of you in the millennials, I say this out of love. What is wrong with you people? One of the things I hear so many people under 40 saying is that I want everything. I want exactly what my parents had. Well, you know, it took your parents 30 years to get what they had. It might take you more than a semester of women's studies to get. <laughs> now I feel better. Still friends? Okay. And we're supposed to, no, this cannot be what was part of the plan. How could he die? 
What could possibly be in his plan that this would take place? And Thomas is also thinking unreturned passion. Thomas loved Jesus. And I think in Thomas's mind, he's also thinking, really, God? I mean, he's the best person I've ever met. He was amazing. Other people died and he brought them back. There was limbs put back sight. He was so great. He was so kind to ladies. There was that prostitute. And he was so gentle with her. That woman that we caught him talking to at the well, and she had this history, and yet he loved her. God, he was the greatest person ever, and yet he's bad. See, maybe instead of calling Thomas Doubting Thomas, because if you've been in church, you know that nickname you get. So when you get to heaven, you might have to apologize. Maybe we should call Thomas Realist Thomas. You know what Thomas was doing? Thomas was just doing things, everything all the other disciples thought. That's what Thomas was doing. Thomas was being a realist. Can I say this as someone who's a bit of a pessimist? I have, I walk on the pessimist side. You know, my wife. She is on the extreme optimist side. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be great. But I'm like, someone's got to pay the bill for it to work out, though. And that, let me just say this. In defense of realist, or in defense of pessimist, it is this. Um, a pessimist can be a realist. Sometimes Chicken Little is right. But sometimes the sky does fall. Every pessimist, say amen. Yeah, see, yes, yes, some of you are pessimists. You just don't want to admit it. Because you're thinking, if I admit it, something bad is going to happen. That's the definition. I love these two quotes. I found these two quotes from, from pessimists and about them. A pessimist is always right or happily surprised. <laughs> they, yeah, think about it. That's awesome. And I love this one. I like pessimists. They're always the ones who bring the life jackets for the boat. <laughs> sort of the opposite. We don't need a life jacket, said everyone on the Titanic. But Thomas was devoted. In fact, in John eleven sixteen, that's the chapter where Jesus raises Lazarus. In John eleven sixteen, it says that Thomas said, well, I guess he's going to go die. I mean, I guess we'll go die with him. He's going to get killed, so might as well go die with him. But something happened to Thomas where he was walking with Jesus, and now, and now he's walked away. In John chapter 20, verse 24, we pick up the story. It's the story after the death. It's the story after the burial. It's the story after the resurrection. In fact, it's the story after Jesus has already appeared to many of his disciples. Thomas missed that meeting. Thomas missed that evening meeting. What's the point of being there at night, he thought. Can I say this as a commercial? Uh, see what happens when you miss Sunday night church? Jesus might show up. Now, don't come tonight because we're not having it. Really bad segue, isn't it? Forget I said all that, but come Sunday night. Anyways, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, you might have a translation that calls him twin. Thomas was a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. I don't know if I can put enough enthusiasm into what they said. I don't know if I can drink enough coffee to get that up. Because they couldn't have, they couldn't have said it like I read it. You, I, those, we have seen the Lord. Really? They were screaming this. They were so overcome. We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands in the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Now, Thomas is like a lot of, a lot of people. 
He has heard the testimony of other people about Jesus, but he has refused to believe what they believe just on their testimony alone. Sounds like some of the people you try to talk to Jesus about, doesn't it? Um, can I make one little observation about Thomas? Thomas didn't believe. Thomas doubted. But yet, Thomas stayed with them. He stayed with the group. You do not have to believe everything that Oakland Woods teaches in order to come here to be loved. In fact, you don't even have to believe in Jesus for us to love you. You don't have to have made that commitment for us to want you here or to care about you. You don't even have to think our pastor is awesome. <laughs> How can you not? <laughs> Margaret, do you like this tie? I'm so humble. Thank you. She has no voice, but she can say that. Anyway. <laughs> Margaret came in today and said, it's me. I said, hold on a second. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> She's my friend. Uh, by the way, let me just say this also. You don't have to be Baptist to go to heaven, amen? You just have to know Christ as your personal Savior. But if you're going to go somewhere, go first class. And pray. Can I just, you know what Thomas did? Thomas just stayed. Even though he wasn't sure, even though he doubted, he stayed. And if you're doubting, you're always welcome here. Verse 26, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Uh, Jesus has his new body. We will have a body like that. There's so much speculation comes out of here. Will we have a 33-year-old body? Because that's how old Jesus was when he died. Will we all be male? Will they be Gentile? All these different speculations, I don't know. All I know is that I will have a perfect body. I will have a body that no longer has asthma. I will have a body that can eat all the fried chicken and mashed potatoes it wants. And when I get this, you don't get this from doing squats and sit-ups. You get this from Kentucky Fried Chicken, okay? But I will have a perfect body. Now, there's some great physics. I've heard some phys physicists display how this is possible in different other settings and stuff. I don't know, but Jesus walks right through these walls. The, the verse of verse 26 says the doors were shut. But here's the thing. If you focus on the fact that Jesus walked through a wall and missed the fact that he conquered the grave, you have missed the story that we're really trying to tell. If he can conquer the grave, walls mean nothing. So, verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger, and behold thy hands. Reach hither thy hands. Um, I like to think of Jesus as a little like me, and I might have to get to heaven and apologize for this. But I see Jesus being like me because I have teens I like, and I never talk about my teens, you know, and talk trash until they win. When they win, oh, where are you? you you'll appreciate this when we lived in Chicago, all these people would come up to me, oh, the White Sox, the White Sox. And then as soon as the Tigers would win the division, it used to happen. When the White Tigers would win the division, I would get up in church and say, everybody who wanted to talk about the White Sox, please come forward now. And it's, I haven't said anything, but after Monday night, if it goes the way I want to, I kind of think like Jesus after he pulls it off. I see Jesus, in my opinion, as a kind of that same cocky, my team won, look what I just did. He doesn't just go, oh, would you like to put your hand in the open? No, I think Jesus comes in there and goes, you were talking trash about me? 
You were saying some smack about me, and you were saying I didn't do this, and I'm not bad. What do you think these are? What do you think this is? If you need to touch it, come on up, big boy, and touch it. And be not faithless, but believe. By the way, no record Thomas did this. What does Thomas do when he's confronted with this? In verse 28, I think Thomas hit the floor as he said this. I could be wrong. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. This is a clear testimony of Jesus with you. He is calling him God. Look, you don't have to believe this to enjoy us and be part of today and enjoy the free coffee and desserts. By the way, there were desserts. You just came late. They were eating. You don't have to believe all of these different things. Nothing sets some record straight so you understand what Oprah would have believed. Jesus was fully God. He was God at creation. He always was God. He was always the second part of the Trinity. He appeared a few times in the Old Testament as Melchizedek, the angel of the Lord. Jesus was always God. He did not become God at his baptism. He got baptism for Christ to show us the importance of it. Jesus was always God. He was God in the manger. He was God at age 12, and they left him there stranded in the temple. And everyone part of a big family knows exactly how that happens. He was God then. He was God at 25, when we don't know anything that happened. He was God at age 30, when he began his first public ministry and began his first miracle at a wedding. He was God at the crucifixion. He was God at the resurrection, and he is God now. Amen. Thomas makes a clear distinction there. You are God. And he also says, you are the Lord. You are the Messiah. You know, Thomas's doubt doesn't bring credibility to the resurrection. Or doesn't cast doubt on it, excuse me. His doubt actually creates credibility. Because he didn't just take everything at face value. He didn't just do it. You know, there's some of you in here, and you feel like you have been such a screw-up that God would never use you or love you. The fact that God is so great that he got a hold of you in an AA meeting, that God is so great that after you're on your third marriage, that God is so great that after you have stumbled and fallen and made an embarrassing decision that he still loves you, that is still a great testimony. You do not erase the power of the resurrection. You declare it by the fact that you're here today. You are a failure in so many things. You have made mistakes, and your mother-in-law never lets you forget it. Your mom told you. I mean, so many people constantly say, man, I'm a complete disaster in my life. You may be a complete disaster in your life, but in God's eyes, he sees somebody he loves and sent his son to die for. Don't ever think because you've made mistakes that eliminates you from serving Jesus. Are you glad about that? Amen? In fact, sometimes some of the best people who make mistakes is because someone's best friend. Verse 29 Jesus is talking to every person in this room right here. This is what Jesus is saying to you in this room. Jesus is saying to them, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. And this is for us. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. Something about people needing signs. Oh, if I had a sign, let me just, two thoughts came to mind. These are just free. Think about it. People requiring signs lose a blessing. Because Jesus said, blessed are the people who believe but haven't seen. And the second thing about signs, people requiring signs, people didn't believe when Lazarus was raised. I remember Lazarus in John 11, just a few weeks before the crucifixion. Lazarus comes forth, he was dead three days, three days, one, two, three. That seems like a pattern that Jesus was trying to prove something. And there were people there that saw Lazarus come forth and Jesus stood at that tombstone and outside that graveyard and he cried, Lazarus! 
come forth and Lazarus comes out. There were people that saw that and they still didn't believe. Oh, think of the Pharisees. They saw Jesus up close and personal do miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw him restore sight. They saw him put legs back up. They saw himself bring people back. He brought Peter's mother-in-law back. He brought her mother on it. He, they saw Jesus do all these miracles. And what did the Pharisees decide after seeing Jesus do all of that? He must be killed. So if I can say to you, quite frankly, politely, as much as I can, you may say, I believe if Jesus appears unto me. No, you won't. Because smarter people than you actually saw him, and they didn't believe. So how do I rediscover Jesus? How do I rediscover Jesus? give you two things as we close. Number one, abandon religion. Amen. Abandon religion. We call religion in our home the R word. Now we've got three little ones under three. And there's a lot of like, you know, there's the S word, which means stupid or shut up. You're not supposed to say that, right? Oh, that's the S word. There's the H word. You know, you're not supposed to say hate. And everything. I have three kids under three. Some of you wonder, why does Pastor always look so tired? Someone stopped by one time, and it was 9 o'clock at night, and they stopped by, and they came in, and they came in to yell at me. And they said, Pastor, it's 9 o'clock at night. You should be at home with your family. You're spending too much time here. And I said, listen, they don't go to bed until 9.30, and after that, I'll leave. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But there is an R word. The R word is religion. I do not have a religion. I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what religion is? This is all religion. The kneeling, the bowing, the candles, the men with the funny hats, everything that you can come up with. This is what religion is. Religion is man's way of trying to justify himself to God with what he's already doing. I'll give you an example of what religion is. I had that tree stump out here last week, and thank you for whoever got rid of it because it, it was like a hernia waiting to happen. But I had that tree stump, and I used it as an illustration last week, Billy Graham's experience about the tree stump and everything. This is what religion would do. Religion would say, now you have to have your own tree stump in your house. And you should have your own tree stump and pray at that tree stump like Billy Graham did. Or religion would say, we're going to go find that exact same tree stump Billy Graham prayed for, and we're going to cut it up into little pieces, and we're going to sell it online for $29.95. That's a exactly the type of nonsense that religious is, religion is. If you thought today you were coming to a religious group or a religious gathering, you have thought, thought wrongly. We are people who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Religion is evil. Religion flies planes into, into uh, buildings. Religion does horrible things to women. Religion treats people badly. Religion constantly reminds you of the mistakes you made. Jesus and his relationship brings grace. Amen. This is just my own thought about religion. Religion will worship a tree and miss the Savior who died on the tree. Religion is not God. And it's not what God created. If you're here, but these religious people hurt me. Yeah, that's what religious people do. What do you expect? A tiger is a tiger. Remember that Hans and Franz little dudes out in Las Vegas, right? Those little German guys that were magicians and they had that tiger. What is it? Hans and I just say Hans and Franz. What was it? Cisco, Sigrid and Roy. Okay, there you go. You know better than me. But they had those tigers and they're like, oh, look at my tiger. I went, I'm making my tiger disappear. And they had it, you know. And one of the tigers was eventually went, oh, you know, Hans looks like a good dessert, grabs him and starts tearing him off, and they have to, like, try to kill the tiger and everything. If you have a tiger around, it's going to eat you. That is a stupid pet to have. You kind of deserve. That's like a Darwin Award, isn't it? You kind of deserve that type of nonsense. Listen, religious people hurt people. That's what they do. 
But God is not religious. The people who know Jesus aren't supposed to be religious. You see, God is this. In while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This time, stop fighting and accept Jesus. And lastly, number two, how do I rediscover religion? Or rediscover Jesus? <laughs> I got up at 4 30. It's been a long weekend. Thank God the rain didn't come. Thank you, George, for the aid. He keeps us wonderful. Those little egg Nazis are wonderful. You guys are great and stuff. They got it already. The rain held off. I'm tired. We preached Good Friday. Everything has gone on. I'm tired. So if I make a mistake, don't laugh. <laughs> he made a mistake. <laughs> Just, that's literally me imitating Jim Merrill. If you come out and see softball, let us see how Jim Merrill runs his basic thing like this. That's because I'm laughing at you. Number two, let's get back on track so we can beat the Methodists for lunch. Number two. How do I rediscover Jesus? Release your expectations. This is serious. Um, you got mad. You got mad at God. Things you thought should have happened didn't happen. God did not run his plans by you. God did not come to you for approval, and he just decided to act. <coughs> I know grief. I know grief very personally, and I know a lot of grief. At 9.30, the choir sang. I sang in the choir. So why would you, why do you sing in the choir? Because I have such a beautiful stellar voice that the man that hates me. It's funny because as I sing, Brother O'Kelly stands by me. As he starts to sing, he gets further and further and further. At the end, I'm like all by myself on the stage singing a solo. I can tell you why it's so. Every time I sing in the choir, I always put these glasses in my pocket. Anybody know who these are? These are my friend Mark Garcia. Young age. Mark led our choir. And at a young age, God decided to bring him home. I don't get that. I'm not going to lie to you. And so when I sing, I kind of just feel like, oh, I'll take Mark's spot. That's the same reason why I have to go to my office. I'll sign my office as an old man's hat. You know what old man's hat are, right? There's a jacket. That hat and the jacket belong to Roger Moore. Roger's like, Roger's like a dad to me. And I have the same reason why if I could take you through my office, you might go, well, why do you have a stuffed animal? Why do you have that little trinket? Why do you have this? Why do you have this Bible with an older lady's name on it? Why do you? Because I have said goodbye to so many people in my life. And I've done their funeral. And I've kept it together here. And then gone back to my office and just bawled like a baby. And I've yelled at God. Right by my desk, I have a picture of my dad. My dad left, left the earth the year of my son's first birthday. So every, every birthday they have is a, I always know how many years it's been gone. I look at that picture just about every day. 
God comprehend the things that he sees? And I know there's theological words, right? There's the theological words of providence. Is God works the way he wants to work, and he does my agenda better, better, better. And I just, you know what? At the end of the day, and by the way, I should say this first. But in the end of the day, this is what I come to. sorrow, maybe more than any person in this room. In the end, I know that he is better than alcohol. He is better than drugs. He is better than materialism. Or he is better than whatever you are choosing to deal with your grief, if you've chosen to be bitter at God, whatever you have chosen to do because God did not act your way, he is better than that. I choose to go to God and allow God to deal with my grief. Because I know grief. But I also know Jesus. Amen. He makes better decisions than I do. And sometimes I just have to say, let God be God. When you finally come back and rediscover Jesus, take your hands off your life and let him make decisions. And you let God decide who lives and who dies and what happens, what takes place. Because if God loves me too much, then it's going to be a bad thing for me. He must have a plan. You'll know you're back. You need to know Jesus. And maybe you need to be reintroduced to him. Because he died on a cruel Roman cross for you. You know what I love about Jesus and what's the difference between him and the living? You're there, or you've been far from God, whatever terminology you want to use. You used to walk with Jesus, and now you're so far away. What I love about Jesus is he's not waiting to judge you. He's not waiting to put you down. He's waiting with his arms wide open for you to come back and love him. <coughs> with his arms wide open. Because that's how much he loves you. Maybe it's time to be Many years ago, I was a coach at a Christian school, Canyon Creek, and the school of Richardson, Texas. And Texas football is not just a sport, it is a religion and a way of life. I love football, and I was one of the assistant coaches. And I was only there for a week, and the first week of school, the principal said, well, we have a pep rally. School had about 1,000 kids, 1,000 rich, snotty kids, by the way. And I knew teenagers, and I knew what was going to happen in pep rally. The principal said, we're going to bring out some of the different teams that were playing. The football team was one of them. We'll bring out some of the starting players, and then we'll introduce the coaches. And I was one of the assistant coaches uh, on the defensive side that year and stuff. And I knew what would happen. See, I know teenagers, right? And I know that there's worse things to happen than not clap. The worst thing is the, yeah, whatever. We've seen this before. You're just going to live that way. And I knew that would happen. So this is what I did. First week of school, I taught ninth grade Bible and I taught seventh grade science. I told my classes, listen, next week we had a test. And I held up two pieces of paper. And you can either have the hard test or you can have the easy test. <laughs> See, the decision is going to be based on you. Is it's how loud you cheer for me when they introduce my name. 
And I said, in fact, why don't you tell all the other kids that you know who cheer for me, and if it's really loud, we'll have the easy test and not the hard test. By the way, complete lie. We wouldn't even have the test. Because I told him, if it's even really loud, we won't even have a test. I have nothing scheduled. I don't know. I'm confessing my sins to you. So there's the pep rally. It's like most high school pep rallies, all rally and no pep. And these teenagers are just sitting. I'm just so glad they didn't have phones then because they were just sitting there going, this is so boring. Meh. Whatever. You know? And all these things are going on. They bring out the bar varsity volleyball team and their coach and some of the players. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And they bring out the head of the football team, the coach, who was a good friend of me. And they go, oh, Coach Marco. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He gave me detention. Who cares? You know? And I'm only there. I mean, literally, less than a week. We started school on Tuesday. This is a Friday. So. And I'm looking at the end of it. It's like three-fourths done. And then the, the principal is just reading off the thing. And now here's news for our Canyon Creek staff. He'll be the assistant coach on the defensive side, Coach Sheridan. And the place goes nuts! <laughs> You'd have thought he had said, and he'll be handing out $100 bills. They went crazy. Kids who didn't even know my name and never had a class with me, anything. They're just completely bonkers, standing up, banging, cheering. I mean, it goes on for more than a minute. And I walk out there like, yeah, this happens everywhere I go. <laughs> Every place. I'm like, I know, it's so embarrassing, right? I just had this total cocky attitude. As I'm walking out of the sides, you know, the principal's standing there, you know, center court in the, the gymnasium. He's looking at me, and what in the world? I get up there and I stand next to the head coach, and he's a good friend of mine now. He leans over and goes, What did you do? <laughs> and I just said, Hey, man, I'm awesome. Get to know me, baby. <laughs> Very best part of what happened one of the parents, after the pepper, was like, He came over and found me and said, uh, I don't know who you are, but if you can get that kind of reaction from a group of teenagers who have only known you for a week, I had to meet you and shake your hand. <laughs> I never told anybody how that happened. <laughs> to this day, they still think I'm awesome. Anyway, listen, church, church, you've been walking with Jesus. Maybe if we cheered that loud for Jesus, people would be, I gotta get to know this. Maybe if our lives screamed that we were so much different and so different than the neighbors or the other guy in the cubicle or the other lady at work, maybe if we were so much different parents, people would see that and hear us in our lives and how we talk. They would hear us screaming for Jesus and go, I don't know who you are, Jesus, but man, I see a difference in some people's lives, and I want to investigate who you are. And if you're here today, sir and ma'am, maybe it's time, maybe it's time someone reintroduced you. Because Jesus is worth revisiting. Amen. If you're here and you know Christ is your personal Savior, let's start cheering for our Savior. Let's start showing people what a difference it is. If you're here and you've never made a decision to accept Christ, the greatest day in human history took place when he was counted the greatest. The greatest second day, in my opinion, in human history for me was when I was a young boy in June of 1976 and I asked Christ to come into my heart. That was the second greatest day in history. It was one of the greatest events that has ever taken. It was the greatest event that has ever taken place. If you've never accepted Christ, not religion, baptized, not took the preacher to lunch and you had nonsense with him, you've never done it. I want to encourage you today to finally reintroduce Jesus. Because there's a third group. You met him. You were once walking with him. You learned him because you're so close. He was so near. He was so real. You're a lot like a person. 
Bless our invitation to God in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me?